everyone and welcome back to the Artistic Futures podcast. My name is Marie and in this series I will be meeting some extraordinary people who work in music and opera and who are keen to share their passion with the next generation. From performers to conductors, directors to choreographers, you will get an insight into how a range of artists built on their career, turning what they enjoyed doing and were good at into a profession. Again, it will be full of useful tips and advice for those of you who would be tempted to give it a go. So, let's get started. For this episode, I headed to the Royal Northern College of Music to meet Raki Singh. Raki is a violinist, composer, music director and curator. Over the past decade, she has cemented herself as one of the leading lights in the contemporary instrumental scene in the UK. In 2016, she co-founded Manchester Collective. Known for their experimental programming and daring collaborations, the work of Manchester Collective has expanded rapidly. They play in concert halls, gig venues and factory spaces across Europe and the UK, performing a combination of cutting-edge contemporary music, classical masterpieces and stage work to new audiences. As a composer, Waki has written two large-scale pieces with long-time collaborator, electronic producer Vessel. Born to an English mother and an Indian father in rural Wales, Waki's upbringing was influenced by many different cultures and traditions. Hi, Waki. Thank you so much for meeting me today at the Royal Northern College of Music. I know you've got a very busy schedule of rehearsals and I'm really grateful for your time. I just wanted to start this conversation by asking you where your passion for music comes from. Did you grow up in a musical family? Was there a lot of music around? I did, actually. Yeah, My mother is a violin and piano teacher to young children. And she actually studied in Manchester at this very college because oh, wow. um, she's from Cheadlehume, which is on the outskirts of Manchester. Mm-hmm. And um, she went over to Budapest and studied the Kodai method. Yeah. So she did a lot of that with myself and my brother and my sister when we, when we were younger. So we grew up with a lot of music in the house, sort of singing, clapping, dancing, playing games. And then violin and piano actually was part of that. I suppose as I got older... I practice the violin more than the piano. I wish I'd practice piano more now because I love the piano. Yeah. But I think because my mum was a violinist, it, it was sort of the natural route, really. Mm. I, you know, very lucky to grow up around music. But it also brings its, you know, difficulties as well. I think I would have rather carried on playing in the, in the garden rather than go in and do my violin practice, yeah. you know? <laughs> Did you have lots of pressure to go and practice a certain amount of time a day and things well, like that? Well, I don't remember it like that. Uh, I don't really... You know, violin was just always there. Yeah. So I did start doing local music competitions when I was quite young. And yeah. I think, you know, delving back into myself as a child, is I think I did feel the pressure of that. Mm. But you don't really know it at the time, no. do you? This stuff that you realise has affected you when you're an adult. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and did you at the time go out to listen to live music as well? Can you remember the first time you heard an orchestra, for instance? That's interesting, because we came from 
well, in fact, my parents still live there in rural West Wales. Mm. Um, so there wasn't a huge amount going on locally. There was we had um, county orchestra, so I remember playing in the county orchestra. Yeah. I think um, my my first step was playing in them rather than watching them. My mum used to have tapes of like Tchaikovsky ballets and Rachmaninoff piano mm. concertos. So there was often orchestral music being played, especially in the car. Mm. Um, but in terms of you know, we didn't live in a city, so um, there wasn't so much going on. So when I got to go and play in orchestra and go on those local music courses, it was a lot of fun, yeah. you know, being around how, all how these people. How did you feel the first time you performed with that orchestra? Do you remember I mean, that? it is yeah. amazing, you know, because yeah. you play things like Holst Planet Suite and it's yeah. such epic music. Yeah. I remember playing it as, a, as an adult and as a professional. It was like amazing pieces and you know, pieces like that are so good for young people to play because you can sort of get around it and it's just so satisfying. Mm. Yeah, it's really joyous, isn't it, to play in an orchestra? Yeah. But you, it's it's hard work as well. Like, you've got to be disciplined, but then yeah. actually through that discipline comes a lot of fun. Do you remember at what point in your life you thought, that's it, that's what I want to do? Um, I need to be a violinist, I need to be a musician, I need to be an artist. Um I don't actually, I didn't no. have a light bulb moment. No. You know, some people do. I think yeah, yeah. they go to a concert and they see someone mm -hmm. playing and they're like, oh, that's what I need to do. But because I grew up with it around me, mm -hmm. it was always just there. Yeah. Um, I think as I've got older, I've um, been more drawn to thinking, what kind of artist am I? Yeah. So that's been more my exploration. And definitely the questioning of the violin has come into that mm -hmm. because it made me realize I'm not just a violinist. I'm like, I'm a musician. Yeah. And, and what does that mean today? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or what does that mean to me? Oh, and, yeah, sure. yeah. and then in today. And yeah. um, so that's kind of been more the focus of like ex exploring the extent and the range of my own creativity, yeah. which I feel like, I always feel like I'm just scratching the surface yeah you know? there's always something to discover yeah. in some ways the violin was a distraction from that yeah. I'm now starting to think oh actually like you know I've I obviously had a curiosity and a desire for many many years even when I was at college mm -hmm. I would I would want to play in the contemporary music ensemble I would want to do the baroque violin so I wanted to explore these all these different things mm -hmm. so I tried as much in the context of here yeah. but now I want to learn about different music I want yeah. to learn about different cultures I want to explore rhythm I want to you know relate literature and visual arts to music and yeah. and movement as well and so You know, that, that's constant exploration, really. I'm probably making up for lost time. <laughs> yeah. Is that what the idea behind co-creating the Manchester Collective was about? I think it's in 2016 you, yes. you started this project. Yeah. What, what, why did you feel this is something you needed to do? I suppose often with these decisions, they're made through a necessity of feeling. You don't quite know what it is, and it's only... You know, it's sort of revealing itself as we go along. You know, at first it was like, okay, you know, we just want to play the pieces that we want to play in the places we want to play them, so it doesn't have to necessarily be concert halls. And to more people, because it was just felt very narrow, the type of audience that we were playing to, mm -hmm. and quite restricted. And even, you know, I spent my whole life with other people telling me what to play. 
It's a bit sort of when you really think about it, it's very strange to be so far from your own instinct. Yeah, I suppose like learning music, you, you've got a teacher who tells you exactly you play this, now you play, play this, this Mozart concerto. You, you move to a music college and then you're being told this is what you should play at this stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Your yeah. teachers choose your pieces for you all the yeah. time. So I think I didn't really know. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. But um, this but, was the first reclamation of yeah. my own you know, attempt at what is my own musical identity. And through that, it's just grown, really. You know, we're mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe let's work with people from other genres. Let's try it. And and so it's it's kind of, you know, like you have your, your block of stone and you know there's a, a sculpture in there, but you have to chip away until yeah. it kind of reveals itself. So I suppose we're in that process. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Uh, that links to another question I had about your training. Do you feel that this place prepared you well for a career as a musician? You said in terms of discovering what music you want to play, that's mm. something you probably had to work more on afterwards. But in terms of the skills, in terms of life as, as a musician after finishing music college, do you feel you, you got a sense of what that would be like? Yeah, I mean, I had quite an intense classical music training. So I went to music school. I went to Cheatham's, which is also in oh, Manchester, yeah. and then came to the Northern. And I had basically the same teacher throughout that whole time. Um, and he was, he was really good. It was all about kind of teaching yourself. So having, like, good knowledge of how to lift your fingers, how to hold a bow, how to move your bow arm, and then being able to problem-solve yourself. So... I think, actually, I've realised in education that's one of the most important things. Mm. Like, useful information, because we all kind of, in, in some ways, our bodies are machines. Violin is a machine, and we have to work out how those machines fit together yeah. and then use that knowledge in order to free our spirit, in order to find our voice. Mm -hmm. Thinking back, I think maybe there was less emphasis on finding the spirit, but I am grateful that I came out with good technical knowledge and ability yeah. but I believe that there's more exploration within degrees and the kind of higher education curriculum now yeah. I know that the northern are definitely exploring a lot more I yeah, suppose and their links with arts organization which can employ people afterwards exactly like yeah, yeah yeah and thinking about that transition then when you finished your study and then got into a profession do you remember what that felt like to start with and, and then maybe if you can give us a sense of what your day-to-day -day work looks like. I mean, it's changed a lot over the years. I've sort mm. of been through many different groups or situations, I suppose. When I first left college, I didn't go straight into a postgrad because I needed a bit of a breather, but I started working and I was lucky enough to meet someone who worked in Academy St. Martin in the Fields or was, like, was introduced to and then I ended up going and playing with them. Mm. So that was great because, you know, they are a brilliant chamber orchestra. So yeah. you just have to turn up and slot in. And I suppose advice to a freelancer is that wherever you go, you want to present your best self, you know, so learn the parts, turn up knowing what's going on. I always find that much more satisfying anyway because you get more out of the music anyway. But mm. generally... As a desk, desk partner, I want to sit next to someone who can play their part and knows what's going on because we both have a better time then. So mm -hmm. it's worth putting in that little effort to, to make a good impression. If you turn up and you deliver well, then there's more likely you're going to get asked back rather than 
not yeah, basically yeah. sometimes it's very you know simple things that we kind of sometimes don't even think about preparation plan your preparation mm-hmm. I still have to do that now and look through my diary and okay okay I have this then so I'm going to look at it two weeks before or something and yeah. or even just the two days before but just having got it in your system yeah. a bit is just very good for the way that you come across so you have to be like super organized yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's like helps. everything isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah unless you're the world's best sight reader <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah coming back to uh, the manchester collective you will be coming to leeds to perform at the whole assembly room in yeah. march and it's a program called black angels yeah i was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that program and maybe how you put this program together um Um, well that program is built around this sort of iconic piece called black angels by george crumb it's for string quartet actually amplified string quartet it's very specific but we also play lots of different instruments so um there's things like glass rods on the string and thimbles and and crystal glasses full of water and gongs and it's a really magical piece sort of full of the occult and uh, superstition and um amazing exploration of different sounds from different lands it feels like mm. very magical a lot of feels like there's a lot of myth and story behind it and um in that piece there's a little ghostly quotation we actually have to turn our violins around and play them upside down wow. like vials yeah. and we have to play a bit of schubert death and the maiden the slow movement is quoted so we decided to pair we've taken the second movement of the schubert the slow movement we also have a commission by more mother in there and i think we have finis in there as well yeah there's a there's a lot going on um but all kind of amazing sound worlds and rhythmic worlds and mm. yeah hopefully very transportative as well as being a brilliant violinist you are also working as a composer as a curator and i read in your biography that you recently collaborated with the wild opera house on a film mm. i was wondering what that was like and if it was the first time you were working with an opera singer a director how that felt like and if it is something you would like to do more of in the future yeah sort of came out of the blue it was a kind of lock end of lockdown project Mm -hmm. and um they approached me and said would you like to do this and I thought about it and um I had some music that sprung to mind and so I was like yeah okay great and then you know you take on this project you've got you're like oh my gosh goodness what am I going to do um so we just worked with a movement artist called Black Hane who is from Manchester actually and a very you know very not ballet world very sort of street I suppose or his own very distinctive style and there was a singer who I had worked with at Birmingham Opera and I really liked her voice uh, so luckily she wanted to do it so I ended up using some music that um, Sebastian Gainsborough and I had written together which had a vocal part And then I used one of my own compositions and, and wrote a vocal part and used the, the words of William Blake. And so then with these sort of themes, the, the, the piece that I used that Sebastian and I had written together was based around Paradise Lost. So it was, it was Satan. So 
there was this sort of theme with the William Blake as well was talking about like jealousy and greed. And so there was this theme running between the two things. So I worked with director Joe Morgan, who is the husband of a friend of mine. And we talked about this concept and he came up with the visual ideas and I wanted to include Black Hainer in it. So the idea was that uh, the opera singer was actually the temptress, the kind of Satan. And she had um, in, in the second part of the film, she had the apple and then she was controlling Black Hane and his dancing. So there was... Um, we actually got to use the Royal Opera House as well. So you had this kind of contrast of this um, very grand scenario and then this uh, um, guy with with, who was shirtless and with his tracksuit bottoms and and doing all of these sort of contorting movements within that space. Um, Yeah, I should send it to you, actually. Yeah, Yeah. it was was an amazing process. It was pretty intense because we didn't Mm. have very long to turn it around either. And it was the first thing I'd done anything like that. But through the work I'd done with Collective and with with dance companies, with theatre companies and working with directors, I I felt like I had enough insight of how it goes. And I did actually end up having to direct the singer and say, you know, do this with your hands. And because... Yeah. you sort of realise that people don't know what your vision is. So it's like, okay, we really have to create it in the moment and, and work out how to, to get someone to do it. So it was a very interesting process. Mm, sounds, sounds really <laughs> yeah, great. I'm really grateful to the Opera House for trusting me with that as well. I was really pleased. So with, with Manchester Collective, one of your aim is to try to reach new, younger, more diverse audience. Mm. Um, I'm wondering how you go about doing this and why you think it's such an important thing to do. Um, I think there's, so there's lots of ways that this happens. Um, and it's just about all the little details from the sort of the freedom of our thought of kind of what we want to play and that we don't need to play it always in the same place um, to Joanne who is our head of marketing she thinks a lot about the messaging uh, with Adam as well the tone of what we're of, of how we're going to say what we want to say how we want to talk about the music um, what we want to you know we want to share our passion for it because ultimately when you go to any sort of gig it's it's the human commitment that you resonate with and you don't even need to necessarily like what's happening, but if someone is really committed to it, you still get something. Yeah, it's about the energy as well. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the atmosphere that is created around the piece. Because some of the piece you are bringing to the audience is really not the most accessible music. Is yeah. It? But, but it does work. Yeah, but if you think, you know, there's so many different types of bands and of so many different types of music, and there's people who go to all of that stuff. And why are we not daring to just really like deliver it with our whole selves because Mm -hmm. that's the thing like people want to be emotionally moved by other human beings and the more that you inject yourself and your spirit into what you are doing then there's more chance of that happening so I suppose it's just like we really have this belief that if we do that with this music then it will transmit and it will connect with people so then you have to dare to take it to different places. You have to dare to play what you want um, and say to people, look, listen to this. It's amazing. Mm. Um, and then it's up to people to make up their own minds. You know, there's a, one of the people who works in our office as a volunteer. I love that he says this. It's like, you know, he he knows 
he's not necessarily going to like everything and some things he really hates but he knows they've been played as well as they can be um and so or delivered with the utmost sort of um conviction and commitment and he you know he's really happy with that some sometimes he comes away from a gig and was like i love that second piece i didn't like the third one so much and i really loved the fourth one and that's an experience isn't it it is, it is a whole experience and i must say when i came to see your gig it was just so exciting to see oh, something different and also <laughs> i love the fact that you're bringing different cultures and different styles together as well yeah. i think it's really great and another question i had is about um the new music because you always program new pieces mm. you also commission new music yeah um why is that important to you um well you know it's nice when people are alive and they're part of this same society and culture that we're in and they're a reflection of the now we've become a bit transfixed about like just taking stuff from the past and not even relating it to where we are now so I don't want to exist in a museum like I like going to museums sometimes but I don't know I just I don't want to be a museum myself I want to feel vital and connected to the present so yeah it's just sort of evolved that every almost every show we have a commission I just, it's what a what a privilege what a treat to to work with people and and have a gift from them of 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 them and their ideas and and their expression and then you know have the the task of like delivering that and bringing it to life like that's what we're doing with all music like or bringing it all to life yeah. if we're not doing that I don't understand like what we're doing <laughs> no I, I totally agree yeah <laughs> I totally agree I was wondering you you were mentioned in one of the piece that you had to play your violin upside down mm. like a viol yeah um and I imagine some of the score that you get are quite different to what you would expect as a classical musician to see on a page how do you get a Well, that's an interesting thing because why this is how has this evolved? Like, oh, why, like, why do we only look at certain types of scores? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like what the hell? Yeah, no. <laughs> like, that's true. It's like, it's notation thing, is notation. It's, yeah, people people learn Spanish and French and Chinese. It's just mm. like it's language. So you approach them in the same way you would approach Schubert. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, you you you're employing different parts of yourself and different parts of your musical education and knowledge, but I don't think one is more important than the other. Oh, no, that's not at all what I was no, trying to say. No, but, but um, you know, the fact that yeah. there's so much emphasis on, like, yeah. old traditional notation yeah. and that contemporary stuff is just sort of... It's still, it's still crotchets and quavers and staves and it's still words yeah. and, and expression and language. It's, it baffles me how it it becomes is separated yeah I, i just think lots of people are maybe a bit scared of what they're not used to maybe that's what it is yeah 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 okay. you know in some ways it's more bizarre to keep looking back at the higher you know the old scripts and not not be present in what's going on now and trying and trying to bring things to life for people now mm. i did wonder if if like concert halls took the risk for one year to switch the balance in programming so to have all contemporary and have like the one you know often in concerts there's a one contemporary piece put in the middle yeah, yeah, yeah switch the balance have all contemporary stuff and put the old piece in the middle and imagine how that would change people's ears like just just changing the balance around mm. 
be, in fact, I think that's what we end up doing. You know, in that concert, the yeah. Schubert's going to be the old thing and it will sound different because of all the stuff that's around it. And we'll play it differently. Yeah. We'll dare to find different sounds and different feelings that can be brought out of the music. Yeah, and it's probably a way of making all the music more relevant as well, isn't it? Because you bring yeah, exactly. it alongside other things that are present. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's really cool. so far have you been involved in many outreach and education work I don't have anything I do regularly but I love sharing my thoughts and my knowledge I've tended to work with sort of students like higher education um, at the collective we have a listening club with, with the Olympias Music Foundation which I think is amazing sort of again like showing how you can connect through music because people from all different walks of life and cultures um, and they never this never would have landed on their doorstep yet we introduce them to some of this music and they absolutely love it and they come to the concerts and they just would not have set foot in a concert hall otherwise um, so children and their parents you know they came to Bridgewater and then I do have my work that I do with with students you know trying to set them free <laughs> do you feel that, that that work you are doing with this kind of groups and sharing your knowledge and sharing your ideas is something that makes you a better musician as well or that influenced the way you you perform maybe? yeah definitely I think when you when you sort of think work in education or think about education you have to like there's a lot about psychology and care Like you have to care and, and figure out how to help people and because it's different for each person or each group of people. Um, I guess ultimately you can just do your best. I just certainly not claiming to have the answers to everything. But, you know, if I can learn from all of the 
difficulties I've had to overcome in my career, both sort of emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, musically, and to let ne- people know they're kind of not alone in that. Like we all we all struggle, and it's pretty damn hard work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's about sort of having faith and believing in yourself and also just like committing yourself to to trying to work out how to go forward one step at a time really if you had one piece of advice to give to a young musician who might be thinking of studying um, at music college or embarking on a career what would that be so I think that We live in a very fast-paced life. But actually, the real growth and development happens when you try and slow down. It's so important to allow yourself and give yourself space to not know what to do and to potentially be bored or not be able to figure it out because then when you find that stillness, things will start being revealed Yeah, where you can, like slow down and just bring your your level of thinking and feeling down to a deeper place. Really looking at how you balance the frenetic energy of the world that we live in. It's nice to do things in a fast pace sometimes and push yourself, um, you know, like training for the Olympics or whatever. It's like, okay, push, push, push. and But then let yourself have times to settle and to reflect Um, I feel like I don't do enough of that for myself now anyway. Everybody does. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. What makes us up is our daily habits. So you don't have to change yourself overnight if there's things, but if you if you look at yourself and your daily habits, they are what makes you you. So think, oh, so I could I could just do 10 minutes of stretches before I practice. And if you do that every day for a week or something, you'll start to feel a difference. And it's not a massive thing to do, um, but it's like it's these little things. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this last January because, you know, the idea of like New Year's resolutions, people yeah. sort of make these massive resolutions. And then, of course, we don't stick to them. But it's more about our little habits. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, examine your own little habits. And that gives you, yeah, it's like slower change, but deeper change. That's great. Mm. You mentioned that you've had difficult times in your career. Um, what do you think has have been the most challenging aspects of your work so far? Yeah, sometimes it can be quite overwhelming. Um, you know, there's been times when I've had to learn loads of notes and done loads and loads of playing, which, when I look back on, was was good for building my stamina, but was all, was kind of not good for kind of destroying my body a little bit. So um, I had to sort of figure out how to be strong when I play, but also look after my body. And obviously, as you get older, you notice that more and more. But um, I think actually something that's not really talked about enough is the physicality of playing um, and how we transfer energy through our entire body. It's not just done with the arms or or the hands. You know, I, I think and use my legs and my core a lot. And we stand up when we play, which kind of helps with with a ba- sort of balance and energy flow. 
Um, but yeah, there's definitely been difficult times in in that sense of like workload and how to balance it all. Um, and then sometimes just like being in situations that I didn't enjoy or was getting bored or getting frustrated. And, you know, it's, I suppose it's those moments. If you can take that energy and channel it into something productive, um, then then it's like it finds a way out. So if you're if you're having those feelings, rather than just let them stew inside you, try and just divert it into uh, a momentum for something else that mm. you do want to do or something for yourself. Yeah, it's really important. And to end on a more positive note, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing what the best thing is about what you do. Ah, oh, wow. Well, the best thing is when you're... I mean, I love rehearsals. You know, we get to, I get to delve deep into this music. And, and then when you're on stage with your dear colleagues and you're all there in the moment, just like there in that very present, and you're making things in the present, like that's why, that's why we do it. I think that's when the audience really gets something special you know, you can't replicate that. There's a, you can only do that on the stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love the process of like the study um, and the working with, with people to sort of find our interpretation. And then when you get on stage, it's just like the letting go and the trust actually that you have to have, um, which, which I try and have a real focus on in our group because the more that people can let themselves go... Um, I think the better, more vibrant thing is created in that moment. You've been listening to the Artistic Futures podcast with the wonderful Rocky Singh. If you have any burning questions for future guests or would like to suggest people you would like to meet, please email education at opfranorth.co.uk. You can also find us on Twitter search Opfranoth Education. See you next time!